things are happening. I always forget how isolating it is when I don't have get when when it's me and no guests. Hello, are are you there, people? Can you hear me? Uh, I'm waving. Uh, am I waving? I tell you what, let's let's stick me up in the corner. Oh. hello everyone. <laughs> oh, you know what? Even even I can even do this. Oh, it's in BBC mode. Wait a minute. Let's go from BBC mode to Rail Natter mode. Mike is good. Everyone can hear. It's me. Hello. Uh, crikey. Rail Natter. The, the, Rail Natter is... The, the most significant thing about Rail Natter is that it's a chronological uh, story of... Or it's, it's chronological order of my hair growing from week to week. It's like a very good record of my hair growth, uh, which I hadn't planned it to be. But, you know, lockdown did that, didn't it? I now have long hair. I, I think undeniably is the mic all right I'm wearing um I'm wearing an old rugby shirt because I'm trying to jazz it up a bit anyway welcome oh that was chaos um oh crikey as ever Wednesdays are busy I always say to myself I'm going to get things done get it done early I was planning to do it yesterday and then uh, you know it didn't happen how are you all are you all well uh it's it's been a while this is going to be uh, it's going to be a uh, a, a natterers collective last week was a bit of a we kept a schedule which was nice we're going to try and do that this time but you know will we uh this is going to be an interesting topic what topic is it well uh if i go small face again yeah that is today's topic today's theme today's real natter theme is well i'll tell you what first of all mull that over for a second while i just do some admin which is go in here click this button and go, uh, where are we? Uh, yes, I just want to tell everyone that we're live. Uh, except that Twitter's browser thing is rubbish. There we go, we are live now. Uh, everyone, come join us live for Real Matter because there's a million people now joining it. Pin, pin. Right, where was I? Saying hello to everyone. Right, there's so many atting Gareth Dennis's. Uh, oh golly, no, no one's late, we're not starting, it's, we're about to start. Hello everyone, we've got 60 plus people joining us. Uh, to be honest, let's, uh, let's see if my very late render of the intro video worked, and um, let's get cracking, shall we? Uh, yeah, let's, let, let's, let's do this thing. Lovely Intercity 225. Hopefully the sound worked uh, <laughs> there. Um, but uh, yeah, let's let's come back. Let's in fact let's go big face again. So today oh, we're going to talk about what structure Britain's railways really should have. That's that's it. That's the theme. This isn't going to pretend. This is this. We're going to go into a little bit about the detailed structure. I'm not going to talk about any of the legal instruments because frankly, legal instruments should facilitate the right solution. They shouldn't get in the way of it. Um, so people cleverer than I am can, can work those out. But I'm going to talk about what I think Britain's railway structure should look like. Um, that's, that's it. That's the theme. But we're going to, it's going to be chatty. We're going to have loads of you chipping in on what you think. Um, spoiler alert, I don't want us to just have a return to British Rail. Sorry, everyone. Um, we, British Rail, uh, firstly, massive change like that wouldn't be very healthy. 
anyway. Uh, and actually, we, we need a railway that's responsive, that's regionally responsive. And, and British Rail wasn't necessarily regionally responsive, um, just like our current railways are also not regionally responsive, much as they'd like to be. But the reason they're not regionally responsive isn't because the, the franchising bits are too big. Nope. In lots of cases, they may be too small or they're in the wrong place. It's because our railways are too complicated. We, we try, our railways try and do everything all at once. And as a result of that, they don't work very well. So before we do that, though, let's... um. Let's crack into the news. What is the news? Here we go. Uh, Lewis Cott is pointing out that only in Scotland does a music society have branded rugby shirts. Yeah, well, that's true. I'm a, I'm a baritone singer, in case anyone who's watching this didn't know that. Uh, I played the odd bit of percussion, although goodness knows how I got that gig. Uh, yeah, so, Graham, you're right. Uh, British Rail is a ship that's already sailed. Right, so. <laughs> Oh, the news. The news is that Scotland is, is, and this is too late, Scotland are ahead of the curve in terms of the rest of the UK, but they're still a bit late. They should have done this about 10 years ago. Um, in fact, they should have done this even earlier than that, which is just publish a damn map saying what they plan to electrify. Like, everyone basically knows this already. This isn't actually news to anyone who's paying attention. It's just, like, stating the obvious. But the good thing in stating the obvious is that it means that Government. It means that there's a sure. There's no no worrying that oh, there's some mad rush. That we're going to panic. Are we going to get electrification projects scrapped? It means the supply chain can be confident in how much there's going to be. The the delivery can therefore be efficient. Uh, it can make use of the right people and stuff. The kit that you need to, to to put the stuff up, but mostly people. The the thinnest resource on the ground when it comes to electrification is people, actually. Um, so yeah. Mike Waldridge is saying that he's uh, is interested that they're looking to electrify between Aberdeen and Inverness, but not between, but not out to Kyle. Aberdeen and Inverness is an intercity line, even if it is a rural line. That's where I grew, I grew up in Inverurie, so the end of that red is Inverurie. Uh, yeah, it will be, and uh, so the the definitely going to be electrified network. Uh, what the yellow means is probably that it will be fully electrified for that because actually you don't need that many services for electrification, full electrification, to just make sense. But it means that they're planning a longer term. So in 2035, um, it might well be that there are is a mixture of wiring and alternative traction, uh, and then they'll continue to electrify. This doesn't mean that the Kyle won't get electrified in the distant future, but uh, it means that the priority, rightly, is going on the high density and the kind of the medium density and, and sort of the, the bulk of the network. Um, yeah, so it's good news. Britain needs to do it, as in the rest of Britain needs to do this. Um, Wales needs to do it, and England needs to do it, um, and you know, over on the other island needs to do it. the island of Ireland need to need to do it as well. But um, whenever I talk about railways, I try and go GB because the reality is that what's happening in Northern Ireland is just a, it's a totally different world. They haven't got much railway for starters, and um, it's nationalised. It's entirely nationalised. And they, for anyone who says this is great, John Stone, I'm giving you a citation here because um, you pointed it out. If anyone says, oh, privatisation is why the railways have such great passenger numbers, just point them to the numbers uh, over Northern Ireland and you'll find that the that if you look at it, kind of, uh, if you normalise the trend for population, it's pretty much identical. Um, there's a bigger world out there, frankly, and that's kind of a bit of the theme of, uh, of this rail matter. So, speaking of which, any comments on that? Go on. Let's put the map back up for the comments. Right, here we go. Uh, Owen O'Neill, in the small print it says that the knitting may not be continuous, it may have gaps in it. Yeah, ignore that. That's 
been put in there as a get-out-of-jail-free card, but if anyone does that, they're bonkers. As Gary will attest to, uh, discontinuous electrification is basically a non-starter. It's a stupid idea. Uh, if anyone suggests it, they're, they probably don't know enough about engineering. Uh, in fact, to be honest, they probably just don't know enough about operations, let alone the engineering. Um, yeah, the Swiss answer. The Swiss's answer to is to what to electrify is everything. Yeah, I think that is a good benchmark. To be honest, uh, I think you start with everything, but there, there's almost a bit of. It's understandable that lines that have a, a, a reduced frequency, you know, like hourly or half hourly service. Well, hourly services in the case two hourly even in the case of the, uh, the far north line. Um, it makes sense to say actually we don't to have a decarbonized network. We don't need to have wires by 2035, even if by 2040 or 2045, perhaps we're aiming for that. It might well be that, given that this is now a body of electrification that can trundle on, it might well be that they make better progress and they, they maybe think, oh, you know what, we'll, we'll electrify up to Queen Larry. Uh, why not? Or we'll electrify up to Oban, and then just the Fort William and Malig bits will, you know, they, 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 there are options there. But for now, that's the map. And, and, and that's how I think it should be, to be honest, um, is, is that you, you, you know the stuff is a no-brainer. And then let's let's do the no-brainer stuff, and then and then afterwards you can start thinking about where where to stick your wires elsewhere. Um, Jared, are there not concerns with political instability that might spook the supply chain? Uh, no, because this is, the whole point of this is it's cross-party. Everyone's bought into it. No one is going to go against this plan. No one's going to go. You know what? This is a, this is dreadful. Yeah, kind of party politics and suggesting that we have an electric railway, you know, a railway system that's fit for the 1920s. So, uh, no, I don't think so. I think that, that uh, particularly given that capital investment is, for the UK at least, where we've got a decent-ish credit rating, you know, we can, uh, Scotland indeed, can, can borrow those funds against, essentially, the money creates itself out of thin air. Um, and then it justifies its own existence and gets paid back in you know over 120 years or whatever the guilt lifetime is. Um, and, and in actual fact, we're being paid to borrow that. Like the, the markets, the, the capitalism is a completely failed system. This is what capitalism will happen if you give coke to a lot of people who are in charge of our entire civilization. Uh, it's nuts. But as a result of that coke fueled lunacy, uh, the the markets are willing to lend money to com- to countries like the UK. Um, in fact, they're willing to pay the UK to, to, to take that money. So essentially, it's, it's, it's not just free to borrow money at the moment. We, we actually make a gain just by literally taking out those guilts. Anyway, capitalism is mental. So uh, am I in favour of devolution? Massively, yeah, big time. Um, but not devolution for the sake of it. It has to have a purpose. It can't just be, it can't just be um, about willy-waving, frankly. It needs to have a purpose. It needs to make sense. And hopefully in this, I'm going to explain where I think the purpose comes from. Uh, right, let's see. Franchises running regions, da 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 da. Passenger numbers. Oh, Jorge asks if I think passenger numbers will recover after COVID nineteen. Absolutely, they already are. They're already starting to climb up. I'm going to do an interesting thread. Oh, <laughs> blow my trumpet. I'm going to do a thread which hopefully will be interesting, looking at the numbers of transport, you know, the, the transport numbers. Uh, and road transport is already way over the value it was before. So uh, absolutely, yeah. Remember that road modal share is eighty eight percent compared to rails nine point nine percent. So. Even if there's a, even if COVID affects working patterns, the railways need to absorb a massive amount more passenger traffic and and, and freight traffic as well. Right. Anyway. So, oh golly, here we go. Right. Let's go on with this thing, shall we? Yeah. So as you saw this a second ago. What are Britain's railways for? And this is a question that we have failed to answer for about a hundred years. 
No one knows what the what Britain's railways are for. And this is if we're going to go for a single question that's the root cause of Britain's railways' problems, this is it. No one can answer this question. Uh, what are Britain's railways for? And the answer is quite straightforward. It's just that we have answered it in a dreadful way. And the the, the reason that we have answered it in a dreadful way is because of uh, nostalgism, history. Uh, shrugging shoulders and general thoughts that all right, that's kind of how it is so we've got to kind of leave it that way well they're for carrying people in trains that's 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 kind of it for britain's railway any of that anyway that's not the number one thing sadly freight uh whilst it used to be king ain't anymore we have a passenger railway that squeezes freight onto it but we also have train you know you'd think a passenger train stops at all stations uh, great, you know, it picks up loads of passengers. Actually, no, we have a lot of railway where you have passengers sat on stations with no train stopping at all. In fact, lots of trains whizzing through without stopping. Um, things like this, you know, the um, the Pendolino, the Bendy Dildo, as it's as Elish so eloquently refers to it. Where is he? He's over there under me shades. Um, so we we have this mixed traffic railway. When I'm getting interviewed about HS2, I use this this description that, that Britain's railways are a jack of all trades and a master of none. Um, which is very true. We have a mixed traffic railway, which means that we get the worst of all possible worlds. Um, and of course, in amongst all that, you know, we've got we've got passenger services in kind of suburban, rural, regional, kind of long distance, high speed stuff and freight trains in amongst it all, which we need to massively expand the capacity of rail freight, by the way. And they're all mixing and matching on the same lines. Um, and it's a real problem for an, from an operational perspective and an, and an infrastructure perspective. Uh, real challenge. There we go. What are we, this is it. Like, it's fundamental. Yeah, that, that's very true. And, and you point out a, a, a really important thing. Organizations need to know what they're for. Carillion, one of the major reasons why Carillion and hopefully eventually Serco and a bunch of other large, stupid outsourcing companies. The reason that these are collapsing, failing, they have no idea what they're for. They have no idea what they're doing. They're just desperately grabbing the next possible bit of thing that they think they might be able to turn a profit on. Um, and that's not a comment on... I mean, frankly, it's not important to me whether railways make a profit or not. They're a public service. That doesn't mean you don't want to be making them run in a sensible way and, you know, maximising fair take because it gives flexibility and allows, you know, it, it's, it's useful that they make a reasonable uh, amount from fair take. But uh, a geographic monopoly is not a thing to, to, to run like a kind of uh, a traditional kind of business running on a high street. It's just, it doesn't work like that. And as I say, when we've got a railway that's absolutely full, we need to think more cleverly about what we're doing with our infrastructure because we're we're in a race against time, really, to get as many people running, uh, kind of moving around by train uh, and as many things moving around by train as possible. So having the right structure helps that. Here is GB. I'm going to call it GB because actually it's not Great Britain because Great Britain includes a load of little islands. I don't know what the, the name is for just the single mainland of, of Britain, but this is the mainland of, of Great Britain. Um... Yeah, there it is. It's a funny old shape, but it's an island most of us are pretty familiar with. Um, and these are, so, so, so here's, here's Yon Island, and here uh, are all of the, basically all of the cities, and, and actually not cities, built-up areas, distinctive built-up areas, uh, larger than a quarter of a million people. So, so you can see it's not that many, but there's a fair number. The ones in orange, the kind of faded orange ones, are... Uh, 
between 250 and 500,000 people living in the built-up area. Uh, the ones in blue are, the blue squares are areas with, five, with half a million or more. Uh, so you can see actually that there aren't that many major built-up cores, if you like, urban cores. Uh, this, is for, this is from a spreadsheet, I mean, actually I can put up. This is a spreadsheet I'm working on, it's an, old, you know, it's an old permanent rail engineering spreadsheet that I've been using to build up um, data about uh, it's a bit out of date now, but this is feeding into my Network 2050 report. And it's about uh, comparison between different... Uh, basically, I'm going to use it to, for, the, for the hashtag build trams campaign, where I'm explaining that why, do, why on earth do these cities not have tram systems, let alone subways and you know, metro systems. And we'll, we'll, we'll refer back to that spreadsheet again for next week's episode. Spoiler alert. Um, anyway, so you've got this map where you've got the big cities and then the bigger cities. And really, we're talking about urban hubs, so it's not just a city, but it's all this suburban sort of sprawl that connects to it as well. Um, people are worrying about islands. Yeah, Anglesey, weirdly, has been chopped off there, which doesn't make any sense. The Isle of Wight is fine to be chopped off. Uh, yeah, the only thing that doesn't make any sense that's missing from this shape is, is Anglesey. So sorry to all of the Anglesey-tonians. Sanfire uh, PG, sauce pal. But um, anyway, yeah, uh, don't worry about it. It's fine. I think people get the gist. Right. So when it comes to passenger railways, if you're going to simplify it, there are two types of operation, fundamentally. You have interurban and you have intra-urban. So the first one's pretty obvious. You know, that's moving people between urban areas. And the second one is moving people into urban areas. And ultimately, if you want a sensible railway system, well, what you want to do is kind of do both of those things separately. You don't really want to be mixing and matching. Um, probably one of the worst franchises in the country at the moment is the cross-country franchise, just in terms of, like, they've got the worst trains. They have... Uh, oh, feel free to go to the National Trans Passenger Transport Survey and tell me that I'm wrong. But anyway, cross-country, they're often crowded. The trains are rubbish. The trains are way too short. Part of the reason for that is, is a little bit out of cross-country's control, is that they're kind of doing both. The trains are used as commuter trains, particularly in and around Birmingham and the West Midlands. Um, and so whenever, wherever, in fact, whenever those services are being used as commuter, in fact, you know, I, York down to Sheffield is a nightmare, um, always so rammed. It's doing both. And it, as a result, uh, it's just a mess. It's horribly busy. It gets, but then it gets in the way of the other commuter services. So you've got a train that's being used as a commuter train blocking the paths of potentially three or four or more actual commuter trains that could do the job far better. So um, not good. So we want to kind of stop that. So if we take our little map that we've got here, I, I'm going somewhere with this, by the way. This isn't me just going off on a rant about HS2. Um, it's not. This is kind of, if, if you want to think about what structure Britain's railways should have, then you need to have a think about what they're supposed to do. To do that, you need to look at the geography. Um, so if we, can, if we draw, kind of vaguely sensibly join the dots up, and this isn't exactly what a high-speed network would look like, but, the, but the, the, this blue network is essentially your intercity network. Um, Okay, there there are some bits off the end down to down into um, towards Plymouth and up towards Inverness and Aberdeen that that are ostensibly you would include in a, in a broader intercity network. But in terms of connecting those uh, hubs, actually these trains should go between the hubs and not stop. So actually, even if you are having a train that seems like an intercity train um, down into Cornwall or or up into the the north of Scotland, actually those trains probably should be running more frequently and stopping everywhere. Because actually the difference it makes to journey times isn't great, but the amount that that supports local people and having a more reasonable frequent service is quite a bit. So 
what I mean by that is those need to be segregated routes. HS2, you'll recognize um, HS2's route kind of whizzes up. You know, wait, let's, let's do some drawing, shall we? So you've got HS2's route is kind of going, you know, it's going like here and then it goes up here and then up to, there's the Y and then it kind of goes, ends there. And then the other leg goes up here, you know, Manchester, and then it goes up to, actually it'll probably go to Glasgow and the Edinburgh bit will probably do that. Nice little, uh, nice little sketch there. Um, and you'll see that there's a gaping, the, the, the obvious gaps are Bristol and South, and, and, um, and South Wales. And then obviously this, this sort of trans-pennine bit needs some work. Also Leicester, sorry Leicester, you're, you're a big city, but you're out on a limb here. Um, but that's partly because of what happens at the shape of the th these three This is Derby, incidentally. Derby's far bigger than anyone ever remembers. So really these three cities kind of behave as one hub. Um, I'll come back to that later. Anyway, scribbles. So high-speed segregation. Um, yeah. That's that's essentially what 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 you need to do. You need, so this is a great picture. I love this picture. This is of HS1 actually, which isn't you know you notice I don't put HS1 on there. HS1 is really a connection to the Channel Tunnel. It it, it does do some. It does carry quite a few su suburban uh, suburban uh, regional services in the form of the uh, southeastern high speed services, the Javelins. But uh, it's it's still about fifty about fifty percent capacity, and it's a bit of a weird line because it has that obvious. It's kind of got a key purpose which is getting fast trains to the channel tunnel so it's a bit of a weird one but the picture is great and it shows you what high-speed segregation is it's literally keeping you might that might well be on the same corridor but it's keeping those that railway system separate um a thing that hs2 does mostly very well apart from to sheffield which it does it terribly and it's definitely the worst thing about hs2's design is what it does to sheffield but anyway you know politics Oh, anyway, with this nice picture up, I'm going to have a look through the chat. How, how y'all doing? I'm, I'm, I'm yammering on, as is my one. It's already 22 past. These always go so quickly. Good grief. Um, oh, let's let's just let's just hammer on. Let's let's go. So, so we've got our, so that's our interurban. But what about our intra-urban? So, bringing things into those urban areas. Well. Essentially, what I'm talking about, so the, the, these are the urban areas, so, so both the blue and, and the orange things, but really just the blue things. So, so the orange things sort of will feed it. There's, there's a kind of, things are never quite as idealised as, as you lay out. But I think uh, in terms of the blue areas, what I'm talking about is, well, really, I'm talking about tapped far plan. I'm talking about the Swiss model, which is that we stop running hugely complex inter, inter, integrated timetables um, okay, from a timetable planning perspective, it might look no different. But from a passenger perspective, we start we stop running mixtures of services all interconnecting and weaving in and off and on and, on and using different tracks. And no, 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 no. We start running a proper interconnected clock face scheduled service. So trains run. So if you've got trains running along the tracks, you don't either they're 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 all doing the same they're all doing the same thing along with kind of bands. So for example, between I don't know. Uh, Chester and Crewe, you, you'll have a load of trains coming through, but you don't have lots of trains feeding in and off. And you, you generally bring them into the major stations. A uh, better example would be somewhere like Preston, which is which is actually on here. It's, it's got its own little orange dot. Uh, there's Preston, uh, Preston, um, where you have all the services coming in. You, you, you stop having things sort of going across junctions and getting in the way of each other. You stop having things, you know, a, a train at two minutes past, seven minutes past, 
22 minutes past and then four minutes to and you start looking at having trains that are at quarter past half past quarter two and on the hour um, or you know a, a variation thereof the reason why that's important is not only because you you create a more straightforward operationally uh, a more straightforward railway to operate but more importantly than that you create a railway that people can use we have a really complicated railway system uh, in terms of making connections, yes, we've got all the tech that people can make their connections and find. But actually, if we want people to, if we want people who aren't familiar with using the railway to to get on and use the railway, we need them to be comfortable with turning up at a station and not worrying about when a train's going to arrive. Uh, and I think a lot of us who use the railways forget that. Like this is a, um, you know, this is this is a thing that, that a lot of, I dare say a lot of people on this chat. Um, are kind of familiar with using railways and we don't and potentially quite a few of us take great pride in all the weird and wonderful things that you can do in terms of catching trains on the network but actually for the majority of people that isn't helpful or cool it's annoying because they want to kind of turn up at the railway and it and it take them to the place they'd like to go um quickly now we have a railway system that has lots of slightly strange you must like for example mps love their direct services to london now, so many of these direct services in London make zero sense. It would be far better if you just had, a, for example, uh, Harrogate. Mental that it has a direct service to London. Sorry, Harrogate, but you don't need a direct service to London. What you need is a train every eight minutes or ten minutes into Leeds and then a reliable, frequent Leeds-London service. If you had that, then actually you'd find that more people would be travelling by rail rather than a direct Harrogate-London service, which actually... To, to the chagrin of pretty much everyone involved who knows what they're talking about, wipes out several commuter services when it arrives. So, because it has to turn around in Harrogate and it's just a complete waste of time. So please, everyone in the railways, stop doing that. Stop suggesting direct services are a wonderful thing because they're not. They're actually stupid. Uh, other than if you're connecting up these major hubs. Right, rant. So, tact far plan. So what does that actually mean? Um, well, what I mean by that is that you create... So you have central station or maybe a couple of stations in the urban core um, and those are connected up so that the, within the urban core you've got the urban transport network. So trans, subway, whatever it happens to be or, or in the case of Britain whatever it happens desperately not to be. Uh, and you have a controlling, so you have a, an organisation that is in charge of the urban transport in that area. So all these trains that are kind of, kind of coming into the centre, all of those will be controlled by a subnational transport body, uh, in this case an urban transport body. So Transport for Edinburgh, which kind of exists, Nexus, which definitely exists, a bit of a weird name, you know, it'd be nice if it was transport for transport for the for any TFNE or something. Um, you know, that'd be nice. Uh, transport for West Yorkshire doesn't exist actually. It's still it's West Yorkshire Metro, whatever it is. It's an old PT, Passenger Transport Executive for those watching and not sure. Uh, right, people are right. So, what I'll, I'll keep putting these up and then I'll address some points because people are talking about um, people are talking about changing trains. Transport for South Yorkshire doesn't exist, but it's the South Yorkshire Transport Passenger Transport Executive. Um, I would propose that the East Midlands gets one, so you'd have transport for the East Midlands, and that would cover Derby, it would cover Nottingham, and it would cover Leicester as three. Leicester's a bit further out, but actually. If you really combine, there's a lot of urban sprawl around there, and really, if you treat them as a single urban area, you you, you do get a major benefit there. A bit like uh, you know, Köln, Düsseldorf, that sort of style, where there is a bit of distance between one of the cities and the core, but actually they work very well as a collective um, like that. So Rhine Ruhr sort of style. Uh, TFL exists and is a model by which to follow. 
TFH knew they don't exist, but for goodness sake, South Hampshire, the South Hampshire sort of conurbation uh, or, or built up area, whatever nomenclature you want to use, is desperately underserved by everything. It's a massive built up area and deserves to have, I mean, it's, it's built up enough that it should have a metro, you know, a, a high density metro system, as so many cities in Britain. But it doesn't even have trams. Uh, thanks, darling. Uh, next is transport from Bristol. Yeah, Bristol needs um, needs some some core kind of core action. It does have a bit of a suburban network, but it needs to be bringing you know it's about drawing passengers into the into the city or allowing them out. But this isn't about all about cities, by the way. It's just that if you that if you're generally if you're catching a train in a rural area, chances are you'll be catching it um, either towards or out of uh, a city uh, hub. And indeed, there are things that, you know, bypass and, and there, there are all these sort of edge cases. Um, but if you've got a good set of interurban connectors, you know, high-speed network, and you have a very strong intra-urban railway network, uh, then your system can work well. And, and that'll kind of answer some of the questions we've just had. Um, so we have uh, Transport for South Wales. I don't know if that exists. I don't know what the South Wales Metro is going to be called. If Professor South Wales Metro is on, uh, I don't know what the name of that system is going to be, but it, it, there is going to be a system like that, that, that kind of an urban core. Uh, Transport for the West Midlands exists. Uh, Mersey Travel uh, exists. Is it Mersey Travel? Is that the name of the PT? In any case, the, the, the Mersey PT, anyway. Uh, and then TFGM, of course, which does exist and is getting some more power. Oh, Last but by no means least, SPT, the the, the, the Glasgow version, the, the Strathclyde Passenger Transport Executive, uh, or, or SPT as they, they now are. So these, some of them exist, some of them don't. These all should exist. These are all the cities that have a half million population or more. Uh, so not the, the, the built-up areas, not just the city, but the built-up area around them have a population of 500,000 or more. Um, yeah, so those are your urban cores so you build your network around bringing people into or sending people out of those cores um why does this why is this relevant uh well okay so that's the that's our urban cores but there's there's more to that because we need to think a little bit about federal england hooray uh anyway while i put while i leave that up let's look at the chat solent travel yeah that's a good point sarah i like that sarah suggests uh solent travel uh, Lewis wants, uh, oh God, no, Lewis, Leicester is cool. Everyone should give Leicester some love. Um, TFE is pretty much pointless, can't even integrate, but it's pointless now, yes, William, but that's because uh, it doesn't really have anything to do. If it had a de if it had more control, for example, if it ran the, um, the service down to Tweed Bank, for starters, if it ran the service out to North Berwick, you'd start looking at a system, you'd start looking at a, a more sensible meaningful uh, operator. I'm not ruling out incompetence at the, in terms of the people who run these things. That's something that you just have to fix. But for starters, deciding what, what these things should, these organizations should do really helps. Um, where was it? All right, Chris, Chris Bird points out that a lot of people don't like changing on route. Uh, connections need to be reliable. Very, very good point. Uh, and this is a point that gets raised a lot when I talk about this model of, of setting up British Railways. And the reason well, 1932. We're doing all right. We're doing all right. It's okay. The news always takes time up. So in terms of connections, when you're inside the M25, you don't care about connections. You pretty much turn up, and they'll within a, a, a totally convenient amount of time, apart from a few random outlier stations, uh, you know, within five, ten minutes, your connection will have arrived in the direction you want to go. 
other than a few times during the day. Most of the time, your connections are just constant and regular. And the reason for that is because actually TFL are running a system that is primarily suburban. You don't have as much of a conflict between intercity and suburban services. That really helps. It allows you to run high-frequency services. You know, Thameslink is the highest capacity railway in the UK, and it runs 42,000 passengers per hour per direction. It will when it runs its full um, potential uh, in terms of throughput through the core. Uh, there is no reason that these urban that these various urban uh, kind of hubs that I've talked about here shouldn't have systems similar to this. You know, high capacity connections. Some of the smaller cities don't necessarily have. Uh, Birmingham and Manchester are certainly two examples where you need to have a Thameslink equivalent. You need to have a high density or a crossrail, whichever analogy you want to pick. You need to have a high density, uh, segregated but the, the suburban system that runs through without loads of crossovers and complexity. Um, you know, in Manchester, the Castlefield corridor is the analogy, but actually, you need to have the. As Phil Hay actually pointed out in his excellent piece in Rail a few issues ago, I keep meaning to share it. It was fantastic. Uh, basically, you need the uh, the, Vic, the the Pick Vic Tunnel, uh, as originally proposed by British Rail, is still what you need. The Metrolink doesn't do the job. We'll talk about Metrolink not being a metro next week as well. Uh, spoilers. Anyway, what was I whistling on about? Yeah, so connections. So if you're running a service that is uh, every t a train every ten minutes, uh, it doesn't matter so much. People don't mind changing. In fact, in the centre of people don't mind changing if they know they've got uh, if they know what their train is going to be doing. So uh, even with luggage, in fact, so people change. People actively choose to change more frequently in in, in London to avoid going on the central line, for example. Uh, you know, people are willing to change so long as the system is good enough. So long as they are comfortable, there's going to be space for their luggage. So long as they're comfortable, they're going to get a seat. And the way to give people seats is to increase capacity a huge amount. The way you increase capacity is by running services bumper to bumper, uh, which means get rid of all the fast services off the existing network. Right, so what are we, what are we doing? Let's have a look. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah, nice. Southampton, yeah, people are enjoying the Southampton Metro. Yeah, too right. Right, so back to federal England. This is this is one to wind you up. And this is this is um Alistair Ray wrote an excellent piece that, that got picked up by City Metric. Uh, that's good fun, actually. But there's a good logic to this breakup of England. Um, if you think about it, for example, if you go down to the southwest, uh, an area I know very well, uh, you can see Dumnonia here <laughs> of about two population of about two million. The good thing about that. Splitting, you, know, you think, well, no, surely you need, you, know, you want Bristol and everything to be included in that. Well, actually, no, because if you have a separate smaller region, it will mean that it won't all be focused on Bristol and you'll get some focus on, on Plymouth, on Exeter. You know, Exeter is a, a kind of a pretty rapidly growing area for rail growth, in fact. Um, so there's a bit of a good regional focus there. So actually, I think that you, so, so the reason I put this up is because if I'm going to now, the next thing I'm going to do is start drawing lines on the map as to what the regions should look like. Um, this for me is a. I'm going to use Alistair Ray's justification for these lines on the map. I'm not going to. I didn't draw the lines in detail because you, you kind of get the gist. But anyway, so I go from my map, of, my map of GB to this thing, which is which is this, but just a bit simplified. So uh, obviously you have Transport Scotland still. You have Transport for the North or Transport for Northumbria. What is it? Is that what they call? Is that what Alistair called? Yeah, Northumbria. There we are. Um, Transport for the Midlands or Transport for Mercia. I quite like Mercia. So yeah, Transport for Mercia. Transport for East Anglia. TfL. TfL is always funny. I mean, it's the capital city and it's a huge area. It's one of the big, you know, it's the biggest city in Europe, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's, it kind of straddles both being a 
uh, a regional transport body and an urban transport body. It does both. Transport for the south. Uh, there we are. That's that's that little bit down there. Um, transport for wait, wait, that is Thames and uh, let's go back here. That is Thames and Solent. There we are. Thanks, Sarah. Yep, Thames and Solent. So that's the region. Thames and Solent. Then you've got transport for Wessex. Transport for Dumnonia. That's right. To big up the Celts. Uh, transport for Wales, which does already exist. And that's kind of the regional map. And, and, and this is nicely split up. We put look back at the map again. It's kind of nicely split up by, um, by population. So it doesn't care for what the rail network structure actually is at the moment. Which you might think, oh yeah, but the rail network is kind of, it's there and that's what we've got to play with. Well, yeah, but actually I'd say more importantly we have a population to cater for. And broadly the network fits with this, but where it doesn't, maybe we ought to think about altering it. But even if that doesn't mean physical infrastructure, it might mean changing the, the colour of paint used on some of the stations. And there's a good justification for why this is split up this way, particularly the, the expansion of London, because currently the, the Greater London uh, Authority kind of boundary doesn't make any sense for the patterns of people's movement in and out of that uh, city. And likewise, Thames and Solent's quite an important one um, because you know, that Reading and, and down to, to South Hampshire actually is quite a, a busy, well-used corridor. So that, again, makes sense to be connected. Uh, East Anglia, 4 million, you know, Thames and Solent, 4 million. These are kind of there's an advantage to having these sort of large areas, but they all have some hubs, uh, kind of some major hubs within them. So, um, so if you then combine the two that we've just talked about, um, are we all still there? By the way, everyone's gone absolutely silent on the chat. Either you're fixated or you just tuned out because it's because it's it's got really boring. Because I started talking about regional remodeling. Give us give us a wave on the chat, everyone. I'm gonna go big face just in case everyone's new to me. Hello, hello. <laughs> Anyway, right. No, everyone's gone. They're 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 not they're not bothering. Let me just. Uh... Uh, just give you all a bit of a wake up call. Yep, yeah, nice, good. <laughs> anyway, uh, that was the transfer to go and run and boil the kettle. By the way. So ah right. So that gives us basically gives us a structure of. Uh, areas of responsibility so you've got regional responsibilities and you've got uh urban hub responsibilities i'm unnerved by the lack of chat come on everyone say, say something so i know that you're all alive has there been an apocalypse outside and i've not noticed <laughs> hello anyway right uh, that's. I'm gonna not worry too much about the chat. I presume. Wait a minute. I can do this. I can copy this. The chat is what lets me know that things are all well. You see. So, has there been an apocalypse outside? And I've not noticed. Uh, oh yeah. The, the the chat has frozen. Wait a minute. If I can I refresh the chat. The chat is frozen. That's the issue. Oh come on, YouTube. You can do better than this. Uh, uh, there we go. Let's just. Uh, if I F5 this. It'll still work. Sorry, sort of the brief interlude, everyone. Just a chance for you to, you know, enjoy the view out of your window. Enjoy your lockdown. Uh, yes, chat is broken. It's back. Uh, there we go. Uh, back. Gosh. Yes. People. Oh, there we go. See all the chats. There we go. Let's catch up. Chat is frozen. They're lovely. Uh, there we go. Good. Cheery. Everyone's waving and going, for God's sake, why don't you just refresh the page so you can read the chat? 
Um, anyway, yes, I'd strongly recommend Sarah particularly because I know you have lots of good ideas on this stuff. Uh, if you haven't read Alistair's piece already, I, I would recommend it. You might have, some, and I'm not necessarily prissy about it. If someone can come up with me with a scientific justification for a better way to split the country up, then so be it. But I quite liked Alistair Ray's. It was a good think piece. Um, I, I like the breakdown of it, uh, and it doesn't think about railways. Don't just if you've got a railway map and you're looking at a railway map when you start splitting up, throw that in the bin. Uh, buy a new one, support local businesses, uh, you know, support your online railway map makers. <laughs> just look at Britain's population, look at the way people are spread around uh, and the way that people move as well. Not just populate the static population, but also the, 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 the directions people flow in for, for work and for uh, industry. Anyway, right, I've refreshed that. Everyone's back. So here we go. People are asking the, all the, uh, people are asking all the next questions, right? So let's, let's, let's move on. So the one you've all been waiting for, train operating companies. What do I want the train operating companies to look like? Well, if we take our map of, uh, so this is our intercity network essentially. Okay, we're gonna add some bits on uh, here because there are gonna be, whether you like it or not, it's not just gonna be hub feeding. You're probably gonna have intercity services that do, do a bit of mix and match into some of the regions that don't have a major city. So we're talking up into Scotland, out into East Anglia and down into the Southwest. Uh, and potentially out across North Wales, actually, although I haven't included it on this little sketch that I did about 15 minutes ago, uh, or an hour and 15 minutes ago. So, oh man, lots of, here we go, here we go, here we go. So many, many chats, uh, it's all happening. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll press on a bit. So, so we take that map and then go to the other map that we had, which is all of our different uh, urban and regional transport uh, kind of uh, bodies. And for me, this is our franchise, this is, well, not franchise, like hell I want franchises, burn franchising. No, these are our train operating company uh, or train operator, shall we say. Uh, this, 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 gives us, this gives us the answer. So uh, in terms of, you know, your, your mixture of interurban and intra-urban, uh, this is it. This is how, how you do it. So this is, me, this, is, this is me list. I was going to do more logos. I was going to pull all the current existing logos and split them all up. But I partly didn't have time and partly uh, thought actually I'd end up creating a, we'd end up getting bogged down in which bits of service. So for example, East Midlands Rail, currently as it stands, um, you'd strip out the intercity stuff into a single national intercity operator, which is what I'm proposing here. Uh, there we are, this one here, uh, there we are. Intercity, there we are. So for any, so, so what I mean by that is LNER, the, the, the properly inter-hub bits of East Midlands Rail, Avanti, uh, TPE, uh, Greater Anglia, whatever it's called nowadays. Uh, so all the bits that run, oh, Great Western, of course. All, this, all the actual intercity operators, squish them all together into one operator. And the sleeper, of course, as well. And expand the sleeper services, you know, more sleepers. Those all need to be run by one operator, one national operator. Uh, and people from these respective transport bodies, uh, these and these, need to, need to be on the board. So you need to have input into uh, the operation of this. But ostensibly, uh, sorry about that, wait a minute. This is making my eyes sore. I should have gone for white, shouldn't I? Ah, let's go for white. This, that, that's, that, this is going to make it even harder to read, isn't it? Essentially, although uh, you might have a larger system operator. I've not one thing I've not talked about in this is, is 
Uh, and I gave a submission to the Williams Review about this, which is related to the interaction between the system operator, uh, which is within Network Rail, uh, which is the infrastructure manager, the system operator and the, the way that timetables are built and some of the overview of the strategy and freight as well. Um, but at the moment, so I'm going to call, I'm going to say DFT, but actually what I mean is it could be, you know, uh, SRA2, there we are, SRA2, or it, or, or it could be a beefed up kind of SO uh, within Network Rail. Oh, gosh. I need, really need a whack-em, don't I? Um, so, so for whatever it is, that's, that's, kind of, that's who runs, who, who's got the responsibility ultimately for, for this, which means it's independent of uh, any infrastructure operators and managers. Oh, by the way, Schedule 4 and Schedule 8 are getting binned. Get rid of those. They're, they're just mental. Uh, we have a railway... Everyone knows what the right thing to do is in terms of having a system, railway system that runs better. Uh, we need to not create commercial barriers that, tr try, that, that are suggesting that... Um, you know, particularly as franchising is now dead anyway. There's no point to them. Anyway, so that's the national operator. Then I'm only leaving nine regional operators. So we've got uh, ScotRail. We have uh, t Transport from Mercia, which is going to be run by um, whatever you want to call a Midlands rail franchise. But it would be a regional railway franchise for the Midlands. Uh, Transport for North. So, SOS guys, you've still got Northern. Transport for Wales. So, TFW Rail exists. Um, what was S? What was my S again? Let's let's go back. S was. Duh, 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 duh. Oh yeah, transport for the south. Yes, so that's sort of southern. There, transport for Dumnonia. They get like a, they get their own sort of Dumnonia rail or something. So you, we've got a new a kind of a new uh, tra train operator there. Um, transport for East Anglia. Well, broadly, it gobbles up all of the non-intercity Greater Anglia services, right? And Transport for Wessex is going to be the stuff that Great Western Railway runs that isn't, again, isn't intercity. So that, so you're kind of redrawing the map quite a bit. And, and you will notice that to an extent this is emulating the sectorised model of British Rail. Uh, so it's that Transport for uh, Thames and Solent get their own uh, sort of uh, franchise. A bit like we used to have, actually. That did sort of exist for a while. Sorry, no, I keep using the word franchise. It's how ingrained into my head it is. Train operator. There are no franchises anymore. I'm getting... They don't exist in real life. They also don't exist in my idealised world. Franchising is dead. Um, and then you've got the urban uh, train operators. So these are the sort of city-focused ones. So you've got... Uh, Nexus currently only runs, uh, you know, the time we're Metro, but they're going to get hold of some of the northern services that are basically in and out of Newcastle and Tyne and Weir more generally. So all of the services that kind of actually fit quite, that are really suburban services, go to these uh, operators. Um, so so that, that, that's my model. Now one of the things I haven't included on here are the open access operators. Um, they can keep doing what they're doing if there's space for them. The challenge we have in Britain, unlike Europe, is that we don't have much space on the network. And unfortunately, that will mean that the open access operators will get more and more squeezed to the point of potentially not having space to run any services. Um, and so be it. I, I'm a big fan of some of the open access operators. I mean, Eurostar is an open access operator as well, but you know, a big fan of Great Central. Uh, big fan of whole trains. You know they do they do good stuff. Ostensibly they're doing stuff that we that the, the existing railway really ought to be doing anyway. But anyway, um, Chemomatic, Chemomatic, cheerio! Thanks for joining us. We'll uh, see you later on. You can catch this up later. Um, 
Anyway, so that's train operators, this scribbly mess. Um, but actually, what you have there is uh, 23 train operating companies. So it's not that, or train operating organizations. The reason I'm saying not companies is because, um, well, two things. Firstly, it isn't hugely important how, in fact, it's not, it, it is not important whether these are private or public. Uh, in terms of the, the, what they can do, the, 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 their ability to innovate, their ability to get hold of capital, all these things, the idea that that's limited to private or, or public is nonsense. Um, how, like the reality is it's the structure and having the right people in the right place is important. However, having them as uh, private companies does add a thick layer of additional pointless administration and bureaucracy that if you just have it as a state-run operation, you can get rid of. And by the time it becomes a concession, you, the difference between a concession and it just being run as a state interest is almost zero, other than the fact that there is a load of additional costs associated with the administration of, you know, and the overheads of a, of an, of a private organisation having to run. It's not much money. I'm not saying that's a deal breaker. It certainly has no bearing on fares, but there's no point in spending that money. And all the people who are employed in the, uh, you know, essentially all the people who are employed other than a few, potentially a few people, kind of intermediaries, uh, would still be employed by a, a state-run organization anyway. So from my personal perspective, ide ideologically, they should all be state-run. Uh, there's a bit of kind of dividend shedding if you uh, run them as uh, privately. But when you restructure in the way that we're already in the process of doing, you know, concession models, franchising is dead, uh, it makes very little difference. So when people, so when people say, oh, th there are certain people in certain quarters of the rail industry who go... Um, franchise who go uh, if it's public it'll be a complete disaster whilst also saying that there's no difference you know it doesn't make much di you know that doesn't make any difference to this or that if it's private or public you can't have it both ways if it doesn't make any difference what's the point in it being private but there is no such thing as nationalization anymore there is a hybrid we just we don't live in that world anymore there's always going to be this hybrid between pri pri private and public uh, provision of services just the way it is so we should stop I, I always like saying don't use populist arguments in rail matters particularly my ones and um stop saying nationalize the railways because the railways themselves are nationalized for starters and train operations are so heavily controlled by government that they might as well be nationalized in fact the control that the dft has over the railways is one of its problems uh, it's not controlled by the people who actually want to take the services. It's controlled by people in London who aren't that interested in transport and are on their way through a department on their way to the FCO or the Treasury, for better or worse. There are some people who stick around in the DFT and all credit to them, but uh, there are also lots of people who don't. Uh, so it'd be good to just take a lot, wrest a lot of power out and give it to the regions. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah, infrastructure managers. Someone asked this question a while back. People are asking about network rail. What's going to happen with network rail? Network rail, network rail, network rail. Here's network rail. Uh, what's going to happen with Network Rail? Well, what's going to happen with Network Rail is we're going to take the, the new routes map that they created and uh, throw it in the bin because it's just entrenching a load of uh, old practice and it's a very London-centric shape. And frankly, the point is that you need to have an infrastructure map. So the map of the boundaries of your route need to match the train operator that is with them so that you can have proper collaboration so that you simplify the, the organizational interaction between those organizations so get rid of that chuck that in the bin and you're going to have back we go back to our map that we've already created um 
So you have, so you'd have a, a, a network rail. So as you already do, you, network rail have a TFW and a, a TS parallel. They're already doing that. But then the others, the, the map is a little different. So um, using whatever split we do between the North and the Midlands, that would be where your boundary would be. And there would be no distinction between East and West. We need to get rid of the idea. So the, the idea of this is that you start empowering the, we've had the North is obsessed or rather Westminster loves getting the North to throw rotten fruit across the Pennines. Uh, and actually it's really destructive. Uh, Manchester needs to stop shouting about Manchester at the expense of Leeds. Uh, and the, the North really does need to think as one and stop talking as if it's thinking as one when actually it's just Andy Burnham getting angry and wanting everything for himself. Um, so there needs to be more collaboration and by just getting rid of any uh, vestiges of the old BR routes that they just need to be burned got rid of there needs to be no uh, there needs to be no hanging on from what what the railways were because it doesn't fit with what the railways need to be and what they need to do there is a problem with this though and there's kind of a reason why the map looks like this and that's the route operating centres and the way that new signalling is being set up this is an issue <laughs> because you kind of do want the, the you kind of do want the regional the, the route operating centres to just look at the whole of a route, but you want it to be looking at the new route. Uh, that's an open question, really. We're still in the we're still in the early days of full digital signal, and in my mind, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if if proper digital railway stuff, you know, digital signal, ETCS, ERTMS, didn't need everything to be really physically hardwired into a set rock. At the moment, it very much does. So that's an open question, really. But uh, we should not be letting the engineering and the fiddly, signally bits that, that, let's face it, passengers don't care about uh, and freight operators don't care about, uh, we shouldn't be letting that lead the way that we shape the railway, the, the organisational structure of the railway. We should be shaping the engineering to fit with what the railways need to do. So that's, that's key. Um, anyway, right, so look at this chat. So, <laughs> yep. Uh, yes, definitely. Oh, there's lots of nice chat. Actually, I don't really need to put inputs. Uh, uh, JLBOTU, uh, Gulbotu. Uh, hello, hello, Gulbotu. Uh, how do you deal with the fact that many regional passenger flows are quite long distance? Yeah, definitely. Like uh, lots of lot. It's kind of a unique feature. It's actually a fairly unique feature of, of Britain's. Um, we we do have a high number of long distance passengers who are fl flowing from weird weird place A to, to kind of not necessarily massive major city B. Um, we, we, we do move around quite a lot in this country in kind of long distance, students particularly, but, but all, all, all sorts of people. Uh, we have friends all over the place, that sort of thing. But it comes back to the point that if I'm traveling from Aberystwyth to Edinburgh, say, it was a common journey I used to do as a student. At the moment, my changes are at, uh, well, usually actually my changes at Shrewsbury, Crewe, and Edinburgh, that would, be, that would be my changes. But actually, quite often they were, um, uh, I could change at Wolverhampton to have one change. You know, people have got, so what's the example that you gave? Is an example, London to Cambridge. Well, London to Cambridge is an interesting one, because actually what I'd argue is that from Cambridge, you'd be connecting across, potentially, uh, to, well, Cambridge, London is an interesting one, because actually what you do is jump on a Great Northern service that's probably run as one of the, um, uh, I haven't had enough dinner, have I? It's my, my belly rumbling there for the benefit of all of our viewers. Um, we have a, yeah, we've got a network that's currently, uh, you, you're going to be running 
you're going to be hopping on a Great Northern service. And the equivalent of that, you'll see, if, if we was back here to this, actually the East Anglia, um, you, you'd choose, it might well be that if we go back to our hubs, it might well be that on this map, oh crikey, here we go, this map here, that you will have, um, so on this end, that you might well be creating a uh, an additional hub, say, you might well create another intercity hub at Cambridge or at one of the places, and then you draw things into it. Um, but you do that with, with the so you'd have um, TFEM, they would be coordinating that. So, so it, but by doing that, by having high frequency, by having, you know, services every 15 minutes, okay, it's, it's not up there, but down here it's like every sort of, what is it, 18 trains per hour, so it's like super frequent, like a, a train every sort of, certainly like every 10 minutes along here, and sort of, they're pretty frequent, the high-speed services that, that, that you talk about, and then by the time you're up here, they're kind of, you know, you've got half-hourly or, or, or 20-minute services. Then by having frequent services that feed into those hubs, actually, even if you're having to change twice over once, or maybe even you should never have to change more than twice because really you should you should go from uh, you should be going from home to hub, and then from hub to hub, and then from hub to destination. So you shouldn't ever need to change more than twice, and that's one of the ways that you kind of want to build the railway network up. Uh, it might well be that if you're going between, you might change once between, say, you, you might change um, at Old Oak Common from Great Western onto. Um, onto HS2, you, you might make that sort of a, a, a change, and that means you add one. But broadly, it's about high frequency services on both, and thing it's about high frequencies across the network. And the way you do that is by segregating services. Anyway, waffle waffle. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, keep chucking your. Uh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Michael, have you asked a question? Where are we? Have I missed it? Should Eurostar extend? Oh, people are asking about Eurostar extensions. It can't happen at the moment, unfortunately. It'd be nice if it could, but um, we are our country is not kind of currently uh, on that trajectory. <laughs> we we would need to have. Yeah, let's get this map up again. We'd need to have more in the way of uh, Schengen or better customs arrangements. The other issue people often talk about. Okay, let's get this out of the way. HS2's connection to. Um, to the channel tunnel. It would only have worked if we built the through station underneath St Pancras and King's Cross that was planned in the 90s. Um, Corbyn objected to it, incidentally, but, uh, or did he, or did he support it? In any case, uh, everyone shouted about it being a dreadful idea, so it didn't happen. And also politics got in the way, and, and, and also capitalism, you know. Again, it was the coked up people in New York and, and, and London uh, who were in charge of our entire society. Um, so that kind of put paid to that plan, uh, and and then it ended up happening. In, you know, we're putting it in Euston, and, and also they they grew St Pancras. The idea was it'd be a station, and you can I've done a thread. I, I, there are pictures on Twitter. You can Google it as well. A station that was going to be between St Pancras and King's Cross underground would have been a new concourse, would have gone underneath, and that would have allowed a through connection from the channel coming up through, and then heading northwards, and then splitting off regionally from there. That would have been the perfect solution, frankly. Then you would have been able to have through services back and forth from Europe. But uh, there are all sorts of reasons why that hasn't happened and it won't happen now. And any t every time you want to send a train, if you were gonna have the connection, every time you wanted to send a train through the Channel Tunnel, that'd be one less train calling at Euston and calling it into central London, which would diminish the usefulness of HS2. It's far better that we build Crossrail 2 and use that station as the connector between Euston and St Pancras.
Anyway, there we go. That's my answer to that. Oh, King's Cross St Pancras International. Uh, yeah, that would have been the the situation. Uh, anyway, yeah, there we go. Here we go. Let's let's keep let's keep doing this because it's eight o'clock. We're late. Freight operating companies. Everyone forgets about freight. I try, I do my best not to. Actually, pretty much as you are. Uh, by simplifying the rail network, actually the freight operators are going to be able to do what they can do, what they want to do more easily. Um, there is a footnote to that, which is that I think the DRS should be subsidised to support um, potentially you know, unprofitable uh, freight uh, freight journeys. For example, I think it'd be good to have a, a Transpennine uh, lorry exchange either side. If you were going to build my wonderful northern uh, North Pennine mainline, then you could have a essentially a lorry on lorry off service running across that, uh, operated by DRS. I should have put a I should have put the um the, the, the BRCIS and put put rail alphabet two in here. Anyway, never mind. Uh, so I think the DRS should should be expanded to run more freight services, uh, ones that potentially don't look profitable but that ought to be. We we need to be running more freight, and and, and a, a way to do that is by a kick up the bum for you know to show that that it, it can work, uh, and DRS has the opportunity to do that with a bit of extra subsidy. The rolling stock operating companies. Oh, what are we going to do with these? Any any guesses? Let's see. What do people think? I'm gonna I'm gonna wait for a, a minute or two. Catch my breath. This is gonna run on for probably about 15 minutes longer. Sorry, everyone. It's gonna be a we're back to true form again. Um, should be a London partway between HS1 and HS2. Um, <laughs> uh, Common and Crossrail, and then connecting round. You know, there there are there are ways and means. There are choices for people. Underground stations are always stuffy and gloomy. Uh, yeah, they, they, they are, but they uh, they can, they don't have to be. They can be designed well. Um, d does that DRS logo use the rail alphabet font? I don't think it does. It looks to me like, no, it's a stylized one. By the, you can tell by the, the, the kind of the weird glyph, the, the kind of the, the, the action down here. It's not, it's not. It's not rail alphabet, I'm afraid. Uh, I could type in rail alphabet two in there to see what rail alphabet two looks like by comparison. But anyway, wrong stock operating companies. What we're going to do to them? Uh, we have one person here. Uh, single purpose companies to finance specific fleets are already a thing. Uh, Bill Harvey saying it's a real pain. The chat is off the bottom of the page, so we have to lose what you're showing to join in. Oh, uh, I, you shouldn't. Be, there should be a way to make it appear at the side. I think. Uh, uh, yeah, that, no worries, Simon. Uh, pleasure. Sorry, it's run on. Apologies, everyone. You can catch the last fifteen minutes. Yeah, we're we're, we're getting rid of Oscars. They're gone. Just get rid of them. Um, not necessarily at high speed. Uh, we're potentially, you know, potentially just reach the end of the leasing cycles currently. But to be honest, buying the stock back would be worth the money. Uh, you know, if if I had my own way, I'd just, you know, I'd just put compulsory. I'd just be like, no, we own those now. Uh, because there's a lot of a lot of people say, ah, oh, but the rolling stock operating companies think long term. It's like, yeah, but so should the railway. So what's the point of them? It's like, yeah, rolling stock operating operating companies have done some fantastic innovation over time. They've done some terrific stuff. Yeah, they have. Why would that not have been possible if the train operating, if the same staff had been working with the rolling stock as part of a train operating company? No reason whatsoever. Uh, there is no good reason other than for people to make a lot of money that all of that public asset was sold off. That's the bit that made the most money for people, the rolling stock. Uh, there's a reason why banks are the ones who own them. Uh, particularly the 
yeah, where, where banks are still part publicly owned, uh, yeah, just, just reclaim them. And, and rolling stock operating companies, just get rid of them. Cheerio. Next. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, contingent worker agencies and facilities management agencies. So, like Mighty and uh, some of the various companies that provide, for example, you know, like safety critical staff. Um, some of the companies that provide uh, labor as part of the rail, you know, survey companies that outsource some of the survey staff, you know, like triple layer of, of outsourcing. Uh, yeah, no, get rid of them, end them. Uh, all of these need to, particularly the facilities management ones, I don't like the fact, we have, a, we have a chronic skill shortage in this country, and part of the reason for that, um, part of the reason for that, okay, well, let's go back actually, no, we're not, gonna, there's some good chat, but I'm going to come back to it in a second. Um, so, good example, if you're in the old, the old olden days, if you worked for British Rail as a cleaner, eventually you might end up working as a conductor. You had an aspirate. You 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 joined as a, you could join right at the bottom of the bottom bottom rung, as it were, salary wise. You know, I'm not saying cleaning is a bad job, but like that's let's face it, in terms of income brackets, it's right at the bottom. And you could have some level of aspiration. There was there was some level of actually, you know what? I'm working as a cleaner now, but you know I'm going to maybe on the time, you know, it's going to pay me to do a bit of training, and I'll maybe get my start being a, 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 you know, a train guard. And then you can work up that way. At the moment, by outsourcing to to Mighty or to whatever clean Interfleet, or I don't know what, I don't know which company I'm being mean, I don't, it might not be Interfleet, it might be someone doing something completely different. But all these various sort of ancillary services companies um, just need to be run in-house. Why does Network Rail not manage its own facilities? Have its own staff. You're just paying for a, lot, a thick layer of admin that doesn't need to exist. Uh, just get rid of that. Just just get rid of them all. Uh, right, good question about rolling stock operating companies. There are a few coming through. Um, yes, uh, very good. So lots of good chat. Roscoe's existing because of a, a misguided understanding that trains can just be swapped between routes. Yep, that is um, very true. The reality is that it just doesn't work like that. And most of my, like a lot of the work that I do day to day is, is proved that that doesn't exist because I have to re-gauge routes for every new train. Uh, that was New Street, by the way, just Tom, yeah. Uh, David Shepherd, the only reason for a separate rolling co stock company would be to have things like battery trains that can take over a line that is due to be electrified. Why Why does that, why can't that be a, that, given that that line is always going to be run by the same train operator, why can't that train operator be the one managing that stock? You can have cascades between, um, you know, down from, but the reality is we're not going to be buying any more, or we're not going to be buying many new diesel-only trains, hopefully going forward, so that becomes less of an issue anyway. Um, and if there's a bit of cascade between routes, that's fine. But why can't those companies just negotiate to, to, to move the stock between them? There's, there's no problem. A really good example of where rolling stock operating companies are completely bafflingly stupid is um, Northern have fitted a load of fantastic kit to their legacy fleet as well as the new trains. They've got that, what they call them, digital trains, I think they call it. They're, smart, they're like smart trains. They've got loads of clever gizmos, clever stuff that allows the, the system to run better, um, allows the trains to be more reliable, X, Y, Z. Um, that kit has to be stripped out when the lease ends on that, um, and it passes to another train operator. That's completely bonkers, completely bonkers. So no rolling stock operating companies. They're, they're in the bin. They're gone. Um, so ah yes. So the the officer rail and road. They're the the regulator. The RSSB are the safety overviewer. They're, they're kind of the notifiable authority. The the they kind of manage safety. They basically manage safety on the railway, and then the RAIB investigate 
crashes. <laughs> Simple as that. And we have a very safe railway. There are always there's always more to do. And for both of those reasons, the, both the reason that actually safety work that, that the way we manage safety on the railway works very well, and that there is a risk that we're going backwards a bit. They're both very re good reasons not to change these organisations. Um, yes, the, the, there might be a bit of restructuring. The ORR might do a bit, have a bit, a bit of jiggery pokery, and a few people's jobs might change title. But the reality is, these should basically remain exactly as they are. Um, Roaming adequate. Roscoe's are so mid nineties. PFI are a nonsense. Yes. Um, Yes, there's a lot of anti-capitalism going on in the chat, and I am here for it. Uh, yeah, Roscoe's are gone. So that's so that's that. So then that leaves us with one big glaring organisation we've not really talked about yet. Oh, Chris Bird asked, "What about coordination with bus services?" Um, that's why all of the um, that's partly why I've got this structure actually. So the reason I've got this structure here um, is that okay, the intercity ones. That's rail. That's why it's one operator. You know, it's rail. Fine. But all the different, all the kind of, all these, um, uh, you know, subnational transport bodies, the, the the regional transport bodies and the urban transport bodies, those should also be running bus services. They should also be running tram services. They should also be um, running potentially their own ride sharing sort of uh, sort of uh, apps or whatever. They should be allowed. I'm not saying they should all be run centrally. They can all innovate with different sort of apps, tools, you know. Uh, different styles of, of operation even, but the the key thing is that they should have the power to do that entirely themselves. Uh, the DFT need to shed control, and also buses need to be re-regulated, uh, absolutely re-regulated. There have been some advantages to, 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 you know, buses are now pushing for franchising over sort of full ownership. Um, the, the people who are running bus services really well much as they might think that they, you know, there are some people I follow on Twitter, uh, people who might even be watching this, who think that um, who, who are doing a really tremendous job uh, in various bus organisations, they would still do a tremendous job. Uh, you know, the the the, the, people, the the examples in the railway I'm thinking of are the David Horns of the world, the Alex Hines of the world. Um, these managers are independent of whether the organisation they're running is public or private or a hybrid of the two. They're fantastic managers, and it's and it's the fact that they're passionate, knowledgeable, skilled interested engaged um that these organizations run well and it's the same for buses they don't need to be it doesn't matter who's running them but uh the fact that they have buses have just been decimated by uh, deregulation uh to me shows that the the current that that, that has just been a failure dismal failure anyway we're, we're talking about all the all this jazz that i'm going on about oh yeah 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 dft so essentially what i want us to be doing is um stripping the dft of well, the thing is, I'm not stripping them of stuff. What I'd like the DFT to do is they can focus on strategy and actually focus on strategy. They can say, we want modal share, sh we want modal sh uh, shift of this to, from this mode to this mode. They can start looking at things that a government organisation centrally should be looking at, um, strategy and, and the vision overall, and then they, they don't have to worry about the nitty-gritty, which is probably a good thing for everyone involved, frankly. Um, yeah, fully agree on people talking about integrated ticketing, all this good stuff. Yeah, there's there's loads of stuff that I can hang on to this, but within an hour we didn't have much to talk about. Uh, we didn't have much time to talk about all those ancillaries, and and maybe we'll have you know I think things like integrated ticketing justify their own real matter to be honest. Because I'm interested to know about the technology. I don't know much about that side of things. But in my head, it's an absolute total no-brainer. Um, the 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 way that ticketing ticketing should be open, sort of open data it should be open source so that anyone can use the codes for the tick the way tickets work. Um, 
yeah, uh, you know, there needs to be a. It all needs to be non-proprietary. It should all. Everyone should be sharing and get involved. Anyway, right. So that's the DFT. So uh, what else? The last note is really. We need to be using. Um, we we Rail Alphabet Two has in more of the news. Rail Alphabet Two now exists as a thing. Uh, I don't know how I've got hold of it, but I have. And here it is. It's very beautiful. And we need to be using it more. We need a unified... And I don't think we need to have all one colour of trains. But I think all of our trains need to start having the... It's the BR logo. But really, technically, it's the... It's the the British Rail CIS. It's the corporate identity... This thing. This thing here. This beautiful thing here. We need to be putting that on all of our trains. I'm not saying it needs to be super prominent. I'm not saying it should take over from you know some of the existing branding. Certainly not immediately, but we should just we should be showing. You know, we we're lucky that that was retained as the identity for um, railway stations across the country, um, retained in various forms, uh, kind of uh, back alleyways of the network. Uh, so, you know, a talk or uh, sort of rail delivery group use it, but all the train operating companies should have that on their trains because we need to have something that unifies our entire uh, railway system uh, and that is it uh, and we should be i'm not saying we need to be using rail alphabet on all of the trains on all of the branding no 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 I, I quite like the idea that we have some separate identities of some of these um kind of different uh, these different train operating uh, organizations that i've talked about but we need to be thinking a bit more about our railway system being a bit more integrated. The good thing about it doing, uh, I mean, not doing everything badly and starting to do specific things slightly better is that we can then concentrate on fixing some of the other issues that are, that are going on. Um, uh, city logos, David Shepard wonders, well, maybe if they can come up with a good city logo. And for example, um, uh, Transport for West Midlands, have a fantastic identity. I think their whole brand identity is terrific. And to be honest, I wouldn't want to change it. It's, it's brilliant. It's really good. I quite like the Transport for Edinburgh one. Um, I think it's really nice. I think there, there are some really nice brands out there. But I think that heavy rail services should have a... They, they should have a little... A little, a little not wink and a nod uh, to the fact that it's a heavy rail... It's a railway service. Um, yeah, Birmingham's Diamonds are really nice. Actually, they're really nice. There's a lot of interesting thought behind them. I think they're great. Uh, Scott Rail's branding's fine. You know, I think there's some really great branding out there already. Um, yeah, I just I think that we can do a better job of sneaking this this in a bit more. Anyway, we're 15 minutes late already, uh, which is rubbish. I'm really sorry, everyone. Uh, oh, whew. that was a bit of a chat. Uh, any any more questions? Let's see. Does Rail Alphabet mean that NR Brunel is going to be sidelined? Yep. Yeah, Rail. Sorry, Brunel. It's uh, your, your days are done. But there's a lot of really nice thinking that's gone into Rail Alphabet 2. And there's a reason that Rail Alphabet was good. And there's a reason that Rail Alphabet 2 will be good. Um, Time where Metro has a fantastic corporate identity. Yeah, I think that Nexus's overall branding is terrific. I wouldn't want to change that, actually. Um, I think it's really good. Um, what, every train company had their own unique symbol? I, d I don't want every train company... To no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that they all have their own... They've all got their own unique identities. I'm saying that we need to be finding a way to be putting the corporate identity, the CIS, uh, here and there. It's not necessarily going to be stuck on the side of the train, you know, foot one foot high, but uh, I think it would be good for us to find ways of sneaking it around. And it needs to be visible in stations, uh, not just on the not just on the red square sign and on the and on the kind of the road signs approaching the station. Actually, in the station, we need to see um, see that. And I, I do think that 
much as I want trains to be branded, I'm not so sure about stations because I think it's really important that stations feel familiar to anyone who have travelled from anywhere. I think our stations should all look the same. Oh, that's my controversial thing to end on. Oh. Anyway, right, well, well that, that's, that's got my massive horrible face up. Thanks for joining, everyone. <laughs> I hope that was all right. Uh, I don't know how, how angry uh, you, you all are. The trouble is, I'm kind of preaching to the converted here, but this video is maybe something that I'm going to point people to. They can deal with an hour and a half oh, of me going on about um, <laughs> about what I think the structure of the railway should be. It's not that radical. I don't think it's that radical a change. Okay, the, the, the fact that I'm in, uh, assuming an eventual federalization of England is maybe a bit out there, but... Um, this is, and the thing is, this is also this is a sort of a mixture of BR sectorization of the Japanese model of having a region and infrastructure train tied together. Um, it is that it is that combination. Um, yeah, uh, Sarah Noble just used Helvetica. To be honest, no, Sarah, you said that deliberately to wind people up, uh, and I'm not here for it, Sarah. So stop trolling everyone. Uh, everyone's angry at capitalism. Yeah, yeah, join the queue. This is, this is what's fun about rail matter, actually, is because a lot of railway things uh, and publications are the idea of anyone mentioning the idea that capitalism is, it, it, it has a chance to be pushed to the side uh, is, would, would make people laugh a lot. Um, even good old Uncle Walmart uh, isn't, isn't pushing for, a, he's not standing on an anti-capitalist stance. Whereas, uh, I don't know. Anyway, so on that bombshell, uh, yeah, people still, you know, uh, to all those corporate people out there who like sending me free stuff, uh, feel free to continue to send me free stuff. No one ever has. Um, anyway, right. So, just gonna, just gonna, yeah. There we are. What's oh, what's the chat? So, you know what? This is a way that England could be federalised by stealth. Yeah, start from regional transport authorities. I mean, flimsy, if not bad. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. Railway. Yeah. If people want, are people actually wanting to get hold of it? <clears throat> actually, there is a link to a not unreasonable proxy, uh, which I will share. <clears throat> at some point on Twitter. Paul Prent. Oh my goodness, Paul Prentice is here. Oh golly. Uh, yes, probably why it won't happen on the current bunch of criminals. Yes, yes, uh, agreed. Um, I mean, the thing is, a lot of people don't talk about what the structure should look like. This is like, everyone thinks this. I don't think, this is not me. I'm not suggesting this is some out there radical idea. But basically, most people think this is what the structure of the railway should be. Like, I, I, even if you go and find some of the really hard-nosed people... Uh, there aren't many people who think franchising. Anyone who knows about franchising knows that it's collapsed. It would have collapsed. It was saved by COVID because it was about to collapse into dust. Um, so franchise was never going to succeed because our railways are too full. Uh, ironically, the EU is now pushing because EU bureaucracy is always about ten years behind whatever thing they choose to, to take and run. Uh, they're just introducing liberalisation of the rail market. Uh, they, it won't be quite as much of a disaster because they do have a bit of spare capacity, but we'll see. Anyway, I'm still nattering, and it's about to be 2020. Uh, so, <laughs> thanks so much for joining. That's been great fun. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna. Th this fonts chat going on, which is even, which makes me very happy. Um, maybe that I, I don't think Rail Alphabet Two is going to be made available. It'd be nice if it was. In my like open do that. It's just a font. They should make it available. But anyway. Um, I got hold of it. I don't know how I did. Uh, and I'm not telling any of you. So, uh, right. Anyway, the podcast. Heel, thanks for making this a podcast. We're back to full stupid long ones again uh, today. I'll try and shorten next the next one. Although it's, it's going to be more ranty because I'm going to rant about metro systems. So, good grief. Um, yeah, just, yeah, people are saying franchising is a complete waste. 
yeah, franchising's gone. It was a waste. It was always a waste. The the, the size of franchising, uh, it's just rubbish. Absolute rubbish. So, next time, yeah, next time, Rail Natter, episode 21. This was episode 20, the 21st episode, episode 20. Hooray! 20 episodes of Rail Natter, that's bonkers. 20 weeks of lockdown. That's why I look so rough. Uh, um, who do you petition to access for access to Rail Alphabet 2? Uh, Peter Hendy. At Peter, start tweeting Peter Hendy. Uh, don't say I told you to, though, because he'll shout at me. Um, Light Rail is not a metro and other gripes. Yeah, there we go. That's what the next episode is going to be. So tune in for that, where I... The reason of me ranting that isn't because I'm just an angry person. It's because actually uh, saying the wrong thing, calling stuff that isn't a metro a metro, means that people get away with saying they have metro systems in their cities when they don't. Anyway, you all know that. Uh, you also know this bit, which is... Thanks to all of them. We've got loads of new Patreon supporters. Thanks to you all. You're brilliant. You you make this all happen. Uh, I can't do this if I, you know, I, I justify my time. I haven't been doing as much other video stuff because I've been really busy with work uh, recently. But um, the, 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 the support you give me allows me to feel like I can justify my time on this. And I love Rail Matter. It, it, I do it for the joy. But um, thanks to all of you for supporting. And also, if you don't fancy doing a, a long-term support, you, PayPal me is probably the best thing, actually. You can just chuck me or coffee. But either one, PayPal's quite even easier, I think, because you can do it even more easily. So I, I might eventually deprecate coffee and just go PayPal me. You can tell me what you think about that. Anyway, um, all, your support is always really, uh, really helpful. Uh, eventually, this thing will disappear, and I'll have a little thing in front of me, uh, proper mic, but or maybe it'll hang above my head, like here. <laughs> Who knows? In any case, you've all been brilliant. Um, I'm gonna, It only remains for me to really say, um, yeah, to say, here we are. Yeah, federalization by stealth. Lots of like federalization, like stealth chat going on, uh, as well as other people saying mash the like button. Yeah, do mash the like button. That's nice. Uh, some people think privatization is better. Uh, uh, mm, mm. <sighs> nope, <laughs> no. Uh, the railways have succeeded despite privatization rather than because of it. Uh, anyway, right on that bombshell. <laughs> Cheerio, everyone. You've all been a brilliant audience. Sorry I broke the chat halfway through. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I will see you all uh, next week. Uh, and then the week after that is going to be a fun one as well. Spark.